Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Corey, co-founder and CEO of Precursive. Welcome along to the Precursive Perspective, our podcast where we sit down with some of the leading minds across customer success and professional services. In each episode, I speak with people involved in scaling companies of all sizes, from hyper-growth startups to mid-market SaaS, all the way through to enterprise technology and communications companies, as well as, of course, uh, members of the investment and VC community now. And we explore how the best companies succeed in this continually evolving services delivery ecosystem with uh, special guests also including my two dogs, Cosmo and Ace, uh, my kids, Frank and Artie. Frank now famous for pulling his tooth out live on one of the shows. Uh, now, before we get into today's episode, in case you didn't know, spoiler alert, Precursive is the leading services delivery cloud for Salesforce. We combine award-winning task and resource management with easy-to-use professional services automation. Uh, built on the force.com platform, uh, we're 100% Salesforce Lightning native, which means you can better align your sales and delivery teams, automate project admin so that your staff get time back to focus on driving outcomes and value for your customers. We believe very deeply that there is a direct correlation between faster time to value and retention. So bridging that gap between sales and success is priority one for Precursive. So let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Precursive Perspective with me, your host, wearing his new Vans. I look like a, I don't know, I look like I'm in the Sopranos or something t-shirt, Jonathan Corey. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by Elan Gendelman. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was great to connect. Um, I love it when folks approach me on LinkedIn, passionate about the podcast, and uh, yeah. they turn out to be people that are a great connection. So now I'm excited to get you on. Uh, how's life? It's excellent. Busy, but uh, yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, well, you've got the new job. So tell us a little bit about the new role. Give us a bit of your background, a bit about your career, if you don't mind, to begin with. Yeah, happy to. I joined Infoblox about uh, two months ago to lead global uh, professional services. So Infoblox is a security and networking company worldwide. Uh, before that, I led uh, professional services at uh, SciSense, led uh, global customer success at Splice Machine, and uh, led professional services at Hortonworks Cloudera. So I've been doing this for a while. This yep. is not my first rodeo, but uh, I love it. Good, good, good. I'm always, I'm, I'm now just, you know, through the, the, the SDA that you're involved in now, I'm always, I'm now laughing at the fact that it always used to be like, no one understood what precursive was because of the name of the company, but I've come to realize that pretty much all SaaS companies, the name never really links to what they do or in a discernible way. So, so tell us a little bit more about the scope of the current role then, uh, where you are. Yeah. So, um, Professional services is a global role. We have teams in APJ, in EMEA, and of course, uh, the Americas. Cool. And uh, the goal is to deliver success to our customers' tangible outcomes as quickly as possible, consistently, and um, also work with partners and make sure that we enable partners to be successful implementing Infoblox uh, solutions. So yeah. it's a very wide role, uh, very busy, uh, but uh, very fortunate. It's a great company. All right. Awesome. Good to hear. Well, I think it was that blend of experience and, and I think that success led mindset set when it comes to services, which caught my eye, which I'm a big believer in. So, you know, I, I think I always try and open up with like the sort of the state of services, if you will, in 2023, because the world has changed a lot over the last couple of years. And, and, and I'm curious to know how you what's your perception of how you've seen PS evolve in recent times? Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. So PS, and as you can imagine, um, PS in a SaaS world, I think changes its role from, you know, just doing services to focusing on outcomes mm -hmm. and accelerating those outcomes for customers as quickly as possible because renewal is just around the corner. Right. Um, so as I think about professional services, I actually moved away uh, for the most part, from time materials into outcome-based services, fixed price. Yep. Okay. And the goal really is is simple. Instead of, you know, having a project that ebbs and flows, have a very focused project that has the the flag at the end of the the mountain, right, to yep. ensure that the customer knows what they're getting, 
and the engagement is super clear what the scope is, what the vendor does, us, what the customer does, and work together to get to those tangible outcomes uh, quickly and underscore quickly, um, three months or less. So that's really the focus of all the changes that I'm uh, making here at Infoblox. Yeah, I bet. Because coming in and inheriting, or not inheriting, but taking over a function where you're trying to instill that, depending on what you've inherited and what the market's used to, what your customers are used to, that what sounds like, a, yeah, that I get what you're trying to do. The the complexity to that can be a multi-year journey, right? Uh, you know, so no, uh, ve- ve- very interesting. Um, So just, just like, I'll be interested as we go through, right, talking a little bit more about like, it's interesting because you talk about outcomes and then it's like, what's the, the perception of outcomes between us and our client and nailing that is, is so important, right? Um, but you, you've you seen, you, you've been working in PS for a number of years. So, so like, as you take a step back, like what's the role, what should the role of PS be in the technology sector? Because I think for some, it's, you know, ARR enablement. For some, it's a well-run business within a business. It's revenue and margin. For others, it's all of the above. Like, What's your perspective? Um, having worked in startups and, and more established, larger companies, um, I think in startups, when they just begin Series A, Series B, it's all about ARR. Yeah. Uh, and often PS uh, has a negative margin because it's really all about the outcomes and doing everything you can to make sure you get to those outcomes and the margin and utilization. Uh, you know, that's a second priority. Mm-hmm. But... Um, what I found, and, and frankly, what I strongly believe in is that the PS organization has to be a well-run business, which is it has to pay for itself at a minimum. And if it has a 5%, 10% roughly margin, that's a good thing. So the question is, should um, PS be an ARR driver or a customer enabler or a well-run business? Uh, all the above. And it's hard. It's, it's hard because sometimes you have conflicts. Sometimes you have to do, um, you know, goodwill or free projects to make customers successful because of a variety of, of issues. Yeah. But I found that if you focus on outcomes for the customer, make sure that the SWs are really well defined as to what the scope is. And I can talk about that in more detail if you like. Yeah. And what the expectations are, assumptions, role, responsibilities. Um, eventually, if you do this over time and, and you train that muscle, have strong project management, you will get to break even and even 10%, 15% margin, repeatability, predictability, reduce doing unnatural things and make sure that customers are successful. So good things will happen from that. Yeah, it, it isn't easy. I think that's the bit that's uh, really crystallized for me over the last 18 months is I've really seen through the community that you're involved in and working with our customers that it's it is a constant moving target because there's the environmental factors economic industry cyclical factors that just create pinch points for you that you're having to navigate right so maybe your sales team is much more conscious about you know throwing ps in or have they want to heavily discount ps to get deals over the line and and, you know, I think, unfortunately, with the best will in the world, sometimes you just got to eat that. And then Definitely. potentially as an organization, you've been on a path to profitability. And then that all just implodes because because of like uh, environmental circumstances. So I think it's I think it's you're right. It's, it's it should be all of the above. It's phenomenally hard. I think l- reflecting on my own organization, if if when you are a well-run business, it is easier to give stuff away and do it very conscientiously or with a level of self-awareness that you can absorb that cost uh and i just yeah so so i couldn't agree with you more i mean the the there's a lot of focus right now on on retention uh you know obviously i mean i think for many companies either you know if they are growing the deal cycles are slower and, and therefore like retention is super important so you know you and i originally started talking about this convergence between cs and ps does that does that sort of need to accelerate? Is it changing? You know, if so, what are the the strategies and tactics that have worked for you to make that happen in the past? Yeah, I think I've, I have a unique uh, perspective on this because I led customer success and I led professional services. So I feel comfortable in both worlds. And what I found is that 
CS and PS are, you know, if we take the, uh, the rowing boat analogy, we're rowing in the same direction. We're in the same uh, boat. And so this is a team sport. What do I mean by that? PS is an incredibly effective tool in two points in the customer journey. When they start, when they onboard, and before they renew. What I've used in the past is that four to six months prior to renewal, position a professional services health check yep. on the implementation. It can be a very short engagement just to pop up the hood, see what's going on, provide a report. Some of it can be automated if it's on the cloud, right? We have tools, we have APIs that we can run and provide that analysis to the customer. Say, hey, you're using this, this, and this, but other features you may not be using. So let's help you maximize the value from the platform. And the key is to do is do this uh, early enough. So if somebody at the customer side is thinking about churn, uh, we'll be able to catch that early. Also, uh, PS can provide information back to customer success on usage, sentiment, uh, identify additional stakeholders and champions within the customer. So I, I call it the CSPS flywheel in which both functions work together and ultimately ensure the same goal, which is getting customers to using the product, getting value from it and uh, expanding over time. Okay. I, I want to drill in on a couple of things, though, and, and get, get some follow-up thoughts from you. So I think CS is naturally a function which is trying to please, right? Uh, very often it's, it's I want to do everything I can to make you successful and renew, right? And PS, in a way, is a little bit more pragmatic than that. They're about deliverables and projects and specificity. Uh, and, and so I, I do hear from many folks in the market where sort of CS is, PS is being, PS time is being given to CS and CS is just giving this out like candy to try and sort of fix issues. And so right. I just wanted to to come back to a point that you raised, but I think that's a really interesting point around the health check because it feels like that was a mechanism for you to to do something great, do something ultimately that's going to benefit the customer, but do it in a structured way, I guess, where there's some guardrails around it and you could control it. Was that some of the mentality behind that? Yes, and I think you touched upon a great point, which is CS at the end of the day is all about the customer. So to provide the various resources the company has, that professional services and engineering and support just to please the customer. Yeah, And it's, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. Um, it's, it feels good. It feels good to customer success because they want to provide that service that feel good to the customer. But overall, I found often the hard way, it's counterproductive. Why is it counterproductive? Because it's a short-term solution to a much larger problem. I, I think the key here is that often customer success is the band-aid for challenges in other areas like engineering and support and professional services and product. And um, the customer success is that lone guard on the wall that uh, tries to, to make everything right um, but in order to make everything right, there has to be a more comprehensive plan to work with the customer and provide them with the, the services and uh, the support that they need to be uh, successful. Yeah. So um, I've worked very closely with customer success uh, and also to ensure that if things are provided for free, there's a clear completion and exit criteria. So we know when those things are done and we can move on to uh, another part another episode if you will of the relationship um as opposed to keeping it ongoing forever yeah okay okay and 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 just one final then follow up then so i think someone like you is very experienced like you've been through this a number of times and and i get the sense that you could stand up for yourself right <laughs> you'd be constant bit. in like you know going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the sales leader or the cs leader about I'm going to get you what you want, guys, but there's some terms associated with this and how we right. do this, right? I get that impression. Um, and usually that comes from experience. For if you were counseling some folks who are maybe earlier in their journey, who are less confident about how they do this, is the, is the structure and the packages a mechanism by which you can exert some more control in a way so it's not just given away like candy, if you will? 
Yeah, good question. Uh, packages are certainly a really powerful tool in the tool belt to provide clear outcomes and engagement types to, to customers. Mm -hmm. But um, I typically like to start at the end. And when I have these conversations with the sales team or even with customers, I ask one simple question. What is the definition of done? How do we know when we're done? Yeah. And work backwards from there and figure out the most effective and productive way to, to get there. And sometimes the answer is very, very clear. For example, we need uh, those five issues to be resolved. Okay. Yeah. Um, or I often also heard, we just want the customer to be happy. Well, that's great. But yeah. how can we measure that? How can we uh, work backwards from that and put together an actionable plan? So I found that start, starting with the end goal in mind and working backwards really helps frame the conversation as opposed to, you know, I want to give this, but I, I don't want to give that. I want to give something else to it. Let's figure out together how we get to that definition of done as a team mm -hmm. and make sure the customer is successful. So that that's my uh, secret sauce. Yep. No, no, I like that. I like that. And I think that's something you can coach others on. So, so turning the, turning attention now to, um, one of the hot topics, uh, you know, in the market is around productizing services or packaging services, depending on where you are at. And by the way, listeners, those are two different things. Um, but, uh, but if we, if we look at this area for a moment, like, what what were some of I, I know you had had some different offerings and structured offerings and things like this in the past. So what were some of the triggers for the PS function when it comes to standing up new service offers or refining the current mix of services provided? Yeah, I'm doing that right now uh, in defining uh, good, better, best packages. Uh, I found that if you call them small, medium, large, they're not as exciting as good, better, best. <laughs> um, but the goal really is to figure out what is the MVP. I know everybody uses the, the term MVP. Yep. I like to use a different term called SLC, small, lovable, and complete. Uh, what is the small, lovable, and complete use case that we can get customers uh, to, to have, to implement um, after they, they sign? So those are the, those packages. There are also other packages like uh, a resident architect that's super um, beneficial to the uh, to the customer, but also to the company because the margins are great. Yeah. Um, yep. Again, focusing on what do we need the customer to achieve or what we think the customer will want to achieve and, and build uh, uh, an offering around that. Another yep. thing that I've used in the past quite successfully is to bundle. Yeah. So bundle support, bundle education, bundle services in one renewable uh, package and you can call it whatever you want um yeah. i call it the pro package and in, in past lives and uh, customers purchase it and they get a better you know support slas they get professional services uh packages and they get uh education so all in one a discounted uh, really great uh, option to move forward yeah yeah i think if you're trans if you're trying to transition some things to subscription services which is on an annual basis I think the the bundling as a starting point, I think some is a, is a good place to start. I think sometimes people sort of sit down and they're like blue sky thinking and coming up with all this stuff. And then it's like they've overcomplicated it. And it's actually like do some good analysis of your caseload, understand what some value gaps are or some product gaps are that are consistent across your portfolio, throw in some training, throw in better SLAs, throw in some advisory or education and and you have your first subscription service right don't 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 overcomplicate it so no i i like that and i'm definitely going to be i'll be summarizing some of this stuff at the end good sir so the slc is great um so when when you think about um the the client journey or the customer journey right everyone's got one it goes from left to right customer acquisition through services into cs retention growth etc right um how how do you think about the role of offerings in in that journey? When you say you're you're looking at it at the moment, do you sort of start and you move left to right? So from like onboarding into then some in life managed services, some bundling. Is that a good way to think about sort of how you map the packages to the journey? What, what, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, I actually started working on that two weeks ago to, to build the customer maturity lifecycle. 
right? And yep. figuring out what kind of offering makes sense based right. on um, where they are in the journey. For example, the good, better, good, better, best is great for new customers, but not great for a customer that's been there and used the platform for two, three, five years. Yep. So when you think about the, the type of offerings we, we want to have, um, I think of it as high touch, low touch, and, and perhaps even medium touch. So the older, more experienced, more mature customers will benefit from a health check and from a resident architect. We talked about new customers with the good, better, best. Um, and, and also, of course, you have the custom. And uh, every customer use case is different, and that can apply anywhere in the journey. Uh, but I also found that if you give the customer the understanding of here are all the offerings that we provide, here's where we think, Mr. or Ms. Customer, where you are in the journey, this is what we think will benefit you. What do you think? And have a discussion. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, that will work for probably for 60, 70% of all cases. And the, 30, the other 30% is custom. We have to scope. We have to figure out what the requirements are, what the outcome is, and work backwards from there. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, we've, I, I think we may have talked about this, may, maybe not that much, but we've been, we've been rolling out more of our own managed, I mean, managed services, they're, they're, they're packages, right? So, so consumption-based packages for our clients. And it's been, it's been an interesting experience because I think there's just sometimes there's this, it's, it's not that the need isn't there. It's almost like that there's a reticence because there's this lack of understanding about like they get what they're getting, but they don't. That might sound a bit, a bit, a bit facetious, but it, it it's kind of that. It's like yes. I have these problems to solve, but I, I, I just this whole idea that this is some sort of subscription renewable thing. I'm a little bit apprehensive of, and so, and so we've, I think, to your point, we've, we've sometimes we've just rode back on that because you, there's got to be a fallback where you're prepared to say, well, actually, all right there's still there's still a thing that you want to solve let's do that on a tnm basis and get that thing done because we don't want to have the sales cycle of a managed or a subscription offering meaning that there's this value gap with a client that persists for two even two months right so so i i do think that there's the i think there's the journey mapping but then there's also i think maybe i've under underestimated or underappreciated that you need to have a good sales playbook sales process for selling those subscription offerings in both how they're positioned the process that you run them the documentation the q a the negotiations uh all, all of these things actually form a big part of of success sorry that was just, it was just it's a very raw it's not a raw topic but it's a very recent topic i don't know if that resonates Oh, totally. And um, you touched upon a great point, which is how to work with sales in the sales cycle to position the value of professional services, specifically in a SaaS world. So yeah. um, I'm sure you experienced that too. I experienced that every day. And um, in some cases, it's very easy or um, too easy to say, you know what, in the sales cycle, don't worry about implementation. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll get you the subscription. Everything will be okay. And that's true uh, for pro uh, products like uh, Spotify or products that are super easy to, to use. Mm -hmm. But I found that with enterprise software, unless there is a clear path and clear understanding of the implementation, um, you sell the, the subscription, everything is fine for two, three months, but then what? Customers yep. not using the product and then customer success has to come in and then professional service has to come in. Um, so it's much better to involve professional services in the sales cycle early enough to have that discussion, understand the customer needs and put together some proposals, how we can get them to, to value uh, yep. quickly. So that conflict or that give and take between professional services and sales, I mean, I experience that every day and I'm sure a lot of uh, the viewers uh, do too. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other, the other bit is like we were talking about on that last call, right? Which is uh, on that last SCA call where it's you... When you when the startup the startup the company grows and services is eating what they kill as it were so they're doing the scoping they're doing the delivery and then as you get bigger that gets split off and you just do implementations with a handful of people involved in maybe scoping larger more complex things and you have this SE function solution engineering function and then there's this slight disconnect that 
can occur or that can grow. And then suddenly you're having to sort of reinsert yourself back into that approach and bring uh, uh, PS earlier into the process, which which I think speaks to to something that's uh, that's again not not always thought through by some. When you, you you've highlighted something there though, which is I do see more and more companies are exploring like can we can we bundle the software and the service right? Can we make it one fee? We charge you one fee. That's for implementation and year one, and that renews and that services bit renews in year two. We'll be doing X, Y, and Z in year two. I'm very curious to hear what do you what are your views on the pros and cons of bundling products and service together? Um, I've seen it before. The pros are are evident, as you said, it's easy, right? One SKU, you buy Mr. Customer, Miss Customer, and you have uh, the services. There are a couple of gotchas here. Yeah. The first gotcha is to outline clearly what the customer is getting as part of the, the bundle. What I found in the past that when it's not clearly outlined and the customer purchases X number of hours, they don't use it or they use only a small fraction of the hours, don't get to value. And then we have problems uh, coming uh, to renewal. Um, the second uh, challenge is what happens in year two if the customer does not need those hours. They have implemented, the team is enabled, they know the product, they can support it themselves, they don't need the hours. What happens then? Um, the third challenge is um, going to the back office, which is RevRec. Yeah. How do you recognize that revenue? Uh, the RevRec practices of ACV and services are different. Um, how does that align with AR calculation? So it's a little bit of an, uh, a challenge on the back end with finance. Again, very close to my heart. Had hours and hours of discussion upon this. Mm. Uh, but it, yep. it sounds like a great idea. And it's a really good idea, I think, for year one. Uh, for yep. year two, um, if there's a clear roadmap of implementation, that's awesome. If not, it could lead to challenges. Yeah, I also think is it's highly dependent on the 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 level of the ACV, the level of complexity, and all of these types of things, right? Because you know, if you well, I, I'm seeing this on some deals that are like, you know, half a million plus in in ARR, and what should be 350k in services is being given away. And then the, you know, and, and, and the, or is being heavily discounted. And then the finance function is saying, right, well, we're going to credit in terms of revenue this much in ARR for software. And then we're going to say that service is actually getting this. And so you're then starting with negative margin before you've even started on a 350K project. Uh, so, no, I, I think those gotcha moments are, are really interesting. Um, I think a lot of people are doing it simply you know, yes, simplicity, but to boost ARR, right? Like they're doing it to boost ARR, but right. the, the, the issues around that are, that manifest are, are there's a lot of complexity. So yeah, I think you're right. You've, you've really got to be ready for that, which, which kind of leads on to, you know, complexity. I think one of the other, the, the, the other key things at the moment is obviously around, you know, these businesses, as you grow, you're becoming much more complex. There's many more moving parts and everyone's, shifted from you know growth at all costs which is kind of the cliche now to i think fiscally responsible growth where you can you know you maximize arr without losing money so when it when you think about operating excellence just help our audience understand like what are the metrics that matter when it comes to to managing performance for you with a ps function yeah um so operations are key to having a world-class professional service organization. So you can't really have, you know, good operating uh, organization without clear metrics. And those metrics that I use are bookings, their billings, margin, utilization, yep. of course, that's a standard. Everybody uses them. But also I'm looking at others, which is time to value. Yep. We measure when the project starts, when we can get to completion or to the first value. Yeah, and of course CSAT and NPS. Yeah, um, there are other metrics that that we look, uh, but those are the, the main ones. Um, yep. Also, looking at goodwill spent, which is free services that are provided. Um, I've had a role in the past in which the the spend on goodwill was enormous, and uh, I can go into that if you'd like and have some lessons learned. But 
tracking those dollars. Those are dollars that in theory, some or most could have been billed and provided for free. And that impacts the utilization, that impacts the billable yep. utilization, impacts margin. So yep. keep an eye on goodwill spend as well. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's let's talk about that a little bit because this this came up with, with with one of my customers actually, where you know twenty five percent of their time was going across a mixture of pre sales and goodwill spend, and he considered it. You know, it's 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 not bad time spent, but it means that their operating margin target is twelve percent, and they're going to hit seven because of that. Yeah. So so I'm I'm. Was that something where you, where to begin with, it's like identify it? Is that what you said? Like the step one is like know how much goodwill spend, you know, you know what you're giving away. Is that that's kind of step one, I would imagine? Yeah, that's step one. Uh, and now after you found the number, the obvious question is why? Why are we doing this? How did we get to this point? And uh, there are a lot of reasons. Um, for example, there are product issues and customer success is providing free services. Here's 50 hours of, of services yeah. or the sales yeah. team provides free hours. Yeah. And the, the key is to control the definition of done and make sure that that target is clear when you start the engagement. Because if it, if it isn't, then what, one issue morphs to another and morphs to another. And I've had projects that provided hundreds of free hours for over 18 months with no end in sight because there was no definition of them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, that's, that's, it just bleeds over, doesn't it? I think the, again, this comes back to, I like the idea of if you do have product issues and they're well, and they're known and they're across the portfolio, like pretty much they're in, you know, the vast majority of the implementations that you do, there's some sort of product gap or value gap, then that's where you need that that package that either that implementation package as it stands or the add-on bit right like the post implement the post deployment consumption based service to bridge that gap until the roadmap get catches up That's to right. fill it right um i think that the 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 specialization of the team i guess on this on this goodwill spend if it's so significant right um is it worthwhile folks considering how you sort of carve out a part of the team and, and they are basically on that? And then through that, you can control it a bit better. You know who they are, you know exactly what you're paying them and they get better at it because they're the SWAT team, if you will. Is that how do you how do you organize the team to deal with goodwill spend? Do you tend to try and carve it out? Only certain people do it or how does it work? It's a really good question. Uh, I found that the best way to do this is to assign a, a tiger team, the A team, whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, to work on that and drive it to completion. Right. Um, and that way you can really control um, the spend and uh, work with the team and they're not distracted by any other things. They just work on that. Yeah. Um, Doesn't impede their other work as well, right? Doesn't impede their other work. Where it's Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a challenge in that because some people really like uh, that work. We really like to be part of a tiger team. They like the, how should I put it delicately, uh, the challenge of it. The chaos. Um, yeah. But but over time, um, I would really recommend to you know, share the workload because these are difficult situations. You're difficult projects we go to in a red account. Customers unhappy. And that takes a little bit of a toll. You need a special team that... A, knows how to do this well and uh, likes doing it. Um, so some people really like doing it. They thrive on it. They like the challenge. Other people, it's good to have for one project, then take output and another more calm project and, and rotate. But the key, and I think you're absolutely right, which is assign a Tiger team to work on that particular escalation, control it, drive it to completion, make the customer happy again and move on. Yep. Okay. I like that. Interesting um there's some gold in here man appreciate it um so so uh, again selfish question for a lot of the the community let's say so it's kind of that classic we're moving from being we're moving from being a ps function that's a cost center and we want to get it to a degree of profitability and going back to what you said at the start like your belief is like that you ideally want to be a you know, delivering both value and outcomes for clients and being a well-run business. Right. 
talk us through some of the methods that you've used to to improve margin over time. I think uh, there are two first steps that I've uh, taken repeatedly and uh, that worked for me really, really well. One is to ensure the SWs, the statements of work, are rock solid. What do I mean by that? I think you're, you're smiling. Um, what do I mean by rock solid? Well-defined and it's exact and describe exactly what the scope is. The scope is measurable. It's binary. It's yes or no. And it's really clear what the assumptions are and the roles and responsibilities and, and of course the cost. And of course, you know, you can, you listen to this and you say, and you can think, of course, the SWs have to be clear and specific, but uh, very often they're not. Um, so recently I've run into cases in which SWs had language like, we want to ensure that the uh, implementation is sound or well run. That okay. sounds fantastic, but how do you measure <laughs> it, right? And if you don't catch that, if that is in your SWs, then you may run into very difficult situation in which one party will say, it's not sound, it's not well run. And the vendor says, of course it is. And so having SOWs that are super clear, number one. Number two, ensure professional services engages in scoping projects early enough in the sales cycle. So we, professional services team, understands what the scope is, what the expectations are, customer skill set, definition of done, timeline, et cetera. So yeah. that allows the PS team to compose well-defined SOWs set the right expectations with the customer, start projects on the right foot, and then everything else follows. The third element that I haven't mentioned yet, which I strongly believe in, is project management. Yeah. Um, that's a touchy subject for some PS organization, and some subscribe to the idea of, don't worry about it, the customer will manage the project, will provide hours, everything will be okay, or yeah. we uh, assign uh, the consultant the ability to to be the yeah. project manager too. Uh, I found that those do not work. Having a strong professional project management on projects is essential, yeah. essential to ensuring yeah. projects are successful. So these are the top three I can go on and on, uh, but I'll stop here for now. No, no, I think, I think that, you know, I think some people run to like, um, oh, you know, control costs or offshoring or this, that, you know, the, the, the I think, I think the basics right it's like when you're um you know when you're when you're looking to improve a lot of the time when people are looking to improve their sales process they don't look at the basics they're looking more at like the funnel they're not looking at does the salesperson send pre-meeting agendas do they follow up well do they ask for follow up like basics right and all of those basics in ps add up i mean ps is the one the one business function and i find this really interesting is the one business function where as a part of day-to-day -day operations, you give junior-ish members of your team, PMs, custodians of budget. Like right. you don't do that in sales. You don't do that. I mean, marketing has budgets, but they're not giving them to like everyone, everyone in the team, right? Like, and if you've got 40, 50 project managers in your team, you've got 40, 50 people who are custodians of budget, cost, time, that impacts fiscal performance and you have a PL, which again, most functions don't have, right? So I, I find that fascinating. And therefore the things that you've come to here about SOWs and scoping and PM are, are, are absolutely there. I want to add a couple of things. I think SO, rock solid SOWs, in particular, rock solid change requests, uh, yes. processes and guidance as a part of the SOW. And then coaching with the team on how we position this call this out so if we're working together i say elan right this is that moment that i talked about in that kickoff meeting where i'm going to ask you for more budget <laughs> and a change request and we were in agreement that this is that scenario yep that's fine jonathan like let's do that get it scopes shifted a little bit let's add a piece of scope here change request so i think change request playbook as a part of sows is really important and I, and, I, and I think the point that you make about PS scoping is, is again, is like what I was speaking to, because a lot of the, the solution engineers are doing that pre-sale. And then potentially there's like a standard SOW that's just getting slung out there. 
and that's signed off and then all hell breaks loose because ps is picking up post which amazingly still happens in enterprise software which i i find crazy now i think those are all great that's happened last, last bit then partners here we go yeah. so the last the last bit which i know you're very passionate about so there is the romance and the reality of partner ecosystems is what i call it my old boss taught me that phrase the romance and the reality so um you know where do you see the role of partners coming into you know augmenting internal professional services because there is this romance versus the reality of building and maintaining a partner ecosystem and i'd i'd love to just talk about this with you for a while now sure um so partners i'll start with the with the basics um partners are essential essential yeah for the growth of a software company specifically in saas mm -hmm. um some professional service organization look at partners and get some you know chills up yep. their spine because they see it as competition yep and partners also see the in-house professional services team as competition fighting over the same you know pizza pie yep. the key to make this successful i found is not to compete over the same pizza have different pizzas yeah and how how to do that uh there are a couple of ways to segment the in-house professional services team and partners if we take a step back and going back to the mission of professional service organization which is to accelerate outcomes for customers i would add another caveat to this and that is to focus on the most strategic the largest um customers the company has the most complex use cases that's where the expertise needs to come in but when you look at the other side the other segments of customers like commercial or smbs depend on your business that's a great place for partners to play in for example if there are good better best packages maybe provide the good and better packages to partners enable them to do this and do this right and the first time so the projects don't escalate what does what that does is to ensure that there are clear swim lanes partners work on smaller or medium-sized customers with simple enough or medium complexity use cases and everybody is in their swim lane and if partners need help because they need expertise that's fine professional services will come in and assist and avoid the competition um cannot stress that enough and i've seen this uh you know firsthand in, in past lives when there's competition between the in-house ps and partners everybody loses everybody loses um another point that you mentioned which is subcontracting i strongly believe in the value of a bench of trusted partners to serve as subcontractors under the company paper uh, and and again the key here is to ensure that there's no competition and subcontractors don't reach out and try to to get the customers for for cheaper because that's also a challenge and I've seen that before yeah but overall I think partners are absolutely essential the key is how to work with them effectively and make sure that everybody wins love it that's very elegant I love the uh the pizza pie analogy I think that's so good I think that um that would just make sense it just to so many people in terms of like how you how you segment I think it also addresses the the um you know the pricing paradox or trade-off that everyone has which is like you need to ensure that your internal ps is kind of the premium right that you're charging the most which means that that should be aligned to the strategic more complex arguably maybe enterprise depending on what your right. where you are in your journey but that kind of that makes sense because otherwise you're cannibalizing your market for your partners because if if you're charging if you're pricing them out in the SMB in the commercial area right then you're not going to get a partner ecosystem off the ground um do you do you feel it important if we take this pizza pie piece do do, do we I, I think there's some really there's some synergy between the packaging element right and the partners so if you're if you develop these packages internally and you road test them for example for SMB like you get this you know rinse and repeat you've got these different offerings going then you take those to the partners and say here's how we do it here's all the materials etc etc would you then focus on one segment first and get that right and get the enablement right and the materials and the commercials and all it? do you start in one and then move to the next rather than trying to eat the whole pizza 
Yes, uh, that's a great point. The key is to start small and iterate and learn from, from the experience. So yeah, start with the SMBs or the smaller commercial customers, enable, monitor. Um, I often have a team that's called uh, partner engineering, that if they need assistance, there's somebody that can jump in and assist and make sure the partners are successful, learn from that, um, iron out all the details, all, all the challenges, and then expand the, the use case. So yeah, that what you what you said is spot on. So in a way, if you're if you're going up through this journey and you're you know you you don't get a lot of residual headcount in PS, right? It's all you know the people need to be billable or like uh, uh, it's difficult to get ops, for example, right? You need to often need to, unless you've got the absolute trust and you're a well-run business, then you can do what the fuck you want. But it, it, it's sometimes difficult to get that headcount if you're ineffective. So it sounds like you could potentially look at having a, a, a role which is like part packaging and that design and sort of bleeding into some of that partner enablement because it was still, it would be like the design, the documentation, the sales enablement, stuff like that. Is that have you sort of combined, do you often combine that role or do you, and then as you get bigger, you split it out? Uh, I'm curious to know what you do there. I usually split it out and right. have a one or two people that are geared towards partner engineering, X number, X percent of their time. Yep. And then have other teams work on, on different things. One thing that I, I found is really detrimental to the performance of a PS organization and frankly, also to the employee satisfaction is chaos and yep. unpredictability. Yeah. Um, so I strive as much as possible, life is chaotic enough as it is, but I yeah. strive to have, uh, you know, less chaos in day-to-day -day operations. So people know roughly what they're going to work on. So having a designated team for partner engineering um, that can provide that assistance. And if the partner is large enough, they can even purchase PS hours uh, on, a, on, a, on a quarterly basis or yearly basis, use it or lose it. And therefore, we are still getting revenue for those hours and yep. provide that valuable assistance yep. to partners. So a lot of options there. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some where they're charging expert services into the client. So we've still got skin in the game, even though the partner's delivering. And then they're charging the partner for partner enablement because they're feeding the the partners, right, in a way. And they're, and they're covering a lot of costs that way. Uh, uh, just, just, then, uh, just a couple of, what, one follow-up then. Where do you tend to lean in terms of some of the KPIs and metrics with with partners? What are some of your favorite things to uh, that you look at? Into is it is it all of the same things that you're doing internally, like utilization and NPS and throughput? What 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 sorts of KPIs would you coach others on thinking about for if you're standing up a partner ecosystem? Um, I think time to value is absolutely key. And yeah. the question is, how do you get that information? That's a whole different discussion. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Time to value, uh, customer sat, um, looking at support tickets, the number of support tickets and nature of support tickets that the partner raises in the system. Yeah, I don't typically, if they don't subcontract, I don't typically go into their bookings and billings. That's, that's the partner issue I really care about. Uh, outcomes and results and customer sat if they're using the platform how quickly they're using the platform etc yeah yeah we use uh we use a community uh like um experience cloud which is a salesforce um product and we have if it's partner delivery we create a very very simplistic project plan for the partner and and part of the reason for the the incentive for them is like you're getting this revenue from us right and we want to know when you're done that's perfectly reasonable. So it's kind of a grown-up conversation. So the the PMs marking, we know when they've kicked off, we know when UAT happens, and we know when launch happens. And, okay. and so they just mark those milestone tasks that we can then see internally. Um, I, I think we we haven't done a good enough job on like the implementation or the CSAT piece. We just that's kind of like anecdotal. It's like, did they do a good job? Yep, they did, you know, or no. Or, you know, it's overly, or it's generally, it's not no, it's almost just like sometimes there's that just over complexity sometimes with a partner, I think. Um, super interesting. Look, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to summarize, um, I think, some great insights here. So I think going, going back to the top, when you think about the mission of a services organization and architecting that strategy year over year, think about all of the above, right? You're focused on ARR enablement and you're a well-run business, and that organization 
is going to have a natural throughput and flywheel that's going to help you retain and grow customers and your own team, which I think is great. Um, I love the the idea about if you are partnering with CS to create some more control by providing things in a structured way, e.g. health checks four to six months prior to renewal. That one was great. Uh, I love the you know, the importance of the exit criteria. So coaching the team and the customer on what is what is done look like so that we don't get pulled into a never ending uh, PS, uh, you know, consumption or free work, uh, which comes back to another one of the, the goodwill spend. SLC, small, lovable and complete. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah, got that one right. Um, I like the uh, I just like the term resident architect for for like that that it's like we call it a tam but i like resident architect i think that's great you're architecting value for the for the client we talked a lot about the the, the bundling and thinking about the packaging in terms of high touch and low touch which is really interesting um beware the gotcha moments in packaging uh, if you're going to bundle software and services and if you want to boost margin rock solid sows great scoping and project management and then I think I'm with you. I think if you inevitably you're going to have this goodwill spend and therefore having a specialist team or people on it makes a lot more sense because it's less disruption elsewhere. They generally like the chaos or you can rotate people in and out of it. Right. right. Um, and then finally, partner ecosystems. The pizza. Pizza. There we go. That's the one that's going in the. Uh, that's going in the partner ecosystems doc that I'm building for the services delivery lines. Elan, awesome. thank you very much. Did you enjoy it? It was great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. See you next time on the Precursive Podcast. Head over to our resource center for more podcasts. And if you want to understand what we're going on about, head over to the services delivery alliance website, which again, you will find on the podcast link. All the best. Bye.